This is On the Margins, a podcast about educational equity in North Carolina. We bring the often untold stories of education in the state from margin to center. Matt Sheldon, or Mr. Sheldon, as his students call him, is an African-American literature teacher at Middle Creek High School in Wake County Public School System, the largest district in the state of North Carolina. He's a true blue teacher if I've ever seen one. He won't mention it, but he was also the district teacher of the year in 2015-16. At the time of our interview, school is just letting out, and he meets me at the door and walks me back to his classroom. Students are still lingering in the hallway a little bit and clamoring for his attention. As he escorts me down the hall, he's interrupted a couple times by students who just want to show him some love or need brief guidance on something. The respect he gets from the kids is clear. And you can tell he's in his element. His room is adorned with posters and images of progressive leaders from freedom struggles all over the globe. Civil rights, human rights, LGBTQ, it's clearly an inclusive space. He takes a moment to show off some pieces of students' work before we begin. He obviously takes the idea of being culturally responsive seriously. And that's a huge deal because he's a white dude and most of his students are not. I wanted to talk with Matt because he represents what's possible. The type of projects his students engage in, his reflective approach to the work. It's really an example of what education could look like if we prioritized equity. We begin as we always do with him telling his personal story and how he got into teaching. So I'm that person. I always knew I was going to be a teacher. There was no doubt. Um, it was just what I was going to teach. I knew it from a very young age. It actually started with martial arts. And it started with, you know, when when you become the yellow belt, you got to teach the white belts. And that first taste of it, at even I was eight years old. I just I like that feeling. And I, 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 I started to learn or I saw in myself that I got more excited when I saw somebody that I was teaching a technique to. When they were developing the technique, I got more excited about that than when I learned a new technique. Mm. So for the longest, I thought I was going to be a jujitsu instructor. And then we moved from uh, from Long Island down to the south. And this is back before there's MMA and all that. And jujitsu just wasn't a thing. So that literally just fell off the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, and what replaced martial arts in my life was music. And I head over heels. I wanted to learn how to play every instrument, loved playing music. So then I said, all right, well, let me become a music teacher. Mm-hmm. Well, my high school that I was at at the time didn't have any kind of a band program. So all everything that I knew, I taught myself in music, hmm. um, which didn't bode well for when I had to go for my audition. And I failed my audition for music school at Appalachia. So I had to change the path again. I knew, OK, well, I'm not going to be a music educator, but I like to read. Right. So the teaching was always there. It was just what I'm going to teach. I would honestly be happy teaching just about anything except for math, maybe just because it's not in my wheelhouse, but I just, I love teaching. So that was always going to be there. So taught English for a good long time and 10 years into my career, I'd been teaching English one almost that, that being it. That was the only class I taught was freshman English for 10 years. And the African-American lit position came open at my school. 
And I had a background in African-American literature as an undergrad at master's level. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll be glad to teach that. And that reignited, that came at the, just the right point in my career, 10 years in, and, and it reignited me again, now that I had something new. Um, and I found in that class that, like I said earlier, I'm always teaching context to the text. And the kids were more into the context than they were the text. So I started integrating more and more nonfiction into what we were reading. And um, about three years ago, I read Just Mercy. And I knew my kids would love that text. And, you know, I, like I said, I was trying to integrate more and more nonfiction. And so I brought that text in. Well, right at that same time that I was reading the text and studying it and figuring out how I wanted to teach it, I, I, wanted, I read up more and more on the Equal Justice Initiative. And it was right before they were getting ready to open their National Memorial for Peace and Justice. Man. It was literally months away. I mean, it, it was serendipitous and it was a beautiful thing that lined up. And of course, then I learned about their project with lynching cases. And I yeah. said, you know, uh, you know, maybe maybe there's a case in Wake County. And there was mm -hmm. there's one case, one confirmed case. Now, we know there was, of course, more. Right. Um, but the EJI only works with confirmed cases. Um, and uh, I reached out to EJI and I said, you know, I'm a teacher. I would really love to do a, a community remembrance project based on this lynching. And they said, you know what? Actually, two other teachers in the past week. It's crazy how this all lines up. Two other teachers had reached out from one from Raleigh Charter High School and one from Explorus Middle. Um, and they said, you know, if you'd like to collaborate with them, we'd love to have you work together. So thus began our collaboration with those two schools. And we, we dive right in. I mean, we were down at the NC State Archives. We were working with 100-year-old newspaper clippings. And we put the narrative together of what happened in this particular case. And uh, we literally located the spot of the lynching. We were going to conduct the soil collection, which is what the EJI likes to do. Um, we even had the landowner say yes. Wow. And then they had Sunday dinner. And the whole family got together. Where so many things That's are right. discussed and so many decisions get made. And multiple generations were present. And what's funny is it was the current generation that said, no, we don't want to be connected. We don't want. And, and we reached out to them. We said, look, we're never going to publicize your address. We're never going to put your name out there. Your family didn't own this property when this happened. You, had, you, of course, had nothing to do with it. We're never going to do that to you or your family. But they, they just didn't trust us enough to do that. Um, so we put it in front of the kids and, and we use it as a lesson to fail forward. Um, and we told them, you know, things don't work out all the time. So that doesn't mean we give up. What do we do next? Right. And, um, we were invited by the mayor of Rollsville, um, because that's the part of Wake County gotcha. where this, this lynching occurred to come up and do a presentation of our research. Um, and at that meeting, we put it in front of the kids. So what do we do now? And one of the kids, and of course it's a kid, they always have the best ideas. I wouldn't have always. come up with this. In Without a, fail. Never, I never would have come up with this. That's right. The kid said, well, you know, from our research, we knew that 300 people had participated in this lynching, either actively or passively. 300 people. Think about that. Right? So she said, and, and at the time when this happened in Rollsville, the census, there wasn't even 300 people living in Rollsville. Mm. So that meant people came from all You're over Wake far. County. That's right. Yeah. So one of my kids said, well, instead of getting the soil from the site, what if we had 300 people from around Wake County donate their soil? as a way of them saying, we recognize this, we take ownership of this event. Mm -hmm. it, it's more of a symbolic gesture. 
And I mean, every time I tell it, the hair goes up on my neck and it was, we were like, of course, that's what we do. You know, mm -hmm. of course, that's the idea. And the kids put together a social media campaign. We drew up press releases. Yeah. The word went out. And long story short, now we've got close to 600 soil samples and signatures on our, our what we call the citizen's promise yeah. um, from individuals, from schools, from churches, synagogues, mosques, businesses, lawyers, members of the school board. I mean, we, we then delivered all of that soil. We gathered all of that soil, the soil. We made individual jars that we brought to our Wake County commissioners. And we said, put that on your shelf in your mm -hmm. office and, you know, keep in mind what it looks like, you yeah. know, when there isn't justice. Um, and we finally were able to get the soil together and we hand delivered it to the folks at the EJI and we visited the memorial and we visited the Legacy Museum. And it was just amazing. And, and to see the kids do that work. You know, they're used to doing little assignments for class right. that get a little grade on it yeah. that end up in the recycle bin. You know, yeah. this is work that has lasting impact on their community here, but also on the national level. You know, years from now, these kids can take their kids down to that museum right. and point to that jar that's on the shelf with that, that soil contribution. and say, I did that. As part of your class, though. Right. right? So you talk about making... You know, all of the terms, right? The 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 common nomenclature. Yep. Um, making our instruction culturally relevant, culturally right. responsive, bringing in the social political context, uh, making, you know, the context come alive right. in ways that um, speak to and, and draw on the lived experiences of the students in the communities they come from. So you did that, I mean, right. uh, in, in your classroom. That's right. And um, I had to talk some mamas into letting me take their kids down to Montgomery. I bet. And it, it was, you know, it, it, it was an eye-opening conversation to have with, with some parents that were like, you know, they have these lasting images mm -hmm. of, of Birmingham and Bull Connor and the dogs and That's the real. fire hoses. And, you know, they were worried about me taking their kids down there, you know, and, and that was, that was something right there. You know, that, that was, that was eye opening for me. And we should pause to say you are a white man, yes. right? <laughs> right. For, I mean, just for yeah, clarification, absolutely. right. You're, you're a white man, mm -hmm. you're teaching this content, you're delving into issues of race. Right. And suddenly you unearth some trepidation, yeah. right. That comes from historical trauma, racialized right. trauma and generations of that. And so what did that, like, how did that, how did that feel for you to like to experience that? Right. Right. From from a parent. And I need and that's the thing is I need to experience that. Right. You know, I don't as a white male in America, I don't often have to worry about going somewhere and worrying about am I safe? I don't have to worry about going somewhere and, and am I going to be singled out? I, I kind of have free run. And it's good to be reminded of that. It's good to be reminded that. Yeah, not everybody's got that feeling. And and to have to really sit down with some moms and dads and grandmas and, and talk them through, like, I promise I'm going to bring your baby back. Mm -hmm. And and to really, they were really worried about, like, you know, they were also looking at it from the standpoint of what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And they were worried about what if people know that's what you're doing. Because it's disruptive, That's right. right. Yeah. And okay. they were like, you know, people, there's people that don't like that. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and there, there are people that might want to actively stop you from, and, you know, so we had to have that conversation too, you know, that, um, you know, we're, we're not going to be carrying a banner necessarily, right. you know, and, and we're just going to be a class on a field trip. I, you know, we probably won't stick out too much, right. but, um, but it's good to be 
reminded of that. And actively responding to those concerns mm-hmm. too, right? Because like, you know, we said these folks aren't hallucinating, right? They're no. responding to like generations of lived experiences, but also being crafty and careful, right. you know, all, all the stuff that, um, frankly, even good-meaning and well-meaning white folks who think about the Freedom Riders, right? That's right. Um, you know, you, you get associated with um, the lowest status of the individuals who you're advocating for. That's so right. Even when you're white, you know, um, just by nearly merely standing shoulder to shoulder, places you in danger potentially as well, right? Uh, and so the violence or the vitriol at sometimes becomes indiscriminate. Oh yeah, and so, uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's in my classroom. You know, it it it's the first thing we talk about. So, so I'm Mr. Sheldon. I'm your white teacher of African American <laughs> lit. You know, and we have. Why that is that com- important, though? Why? I, I mean, like because it's important to my kids and okay. it's important to their families and and it's and. It's important. I know it's important because they think it's weird. And, you know, I have I have the mamas and the grandmamas that are like your teacher's white. You know, they mm-hmm. they have that conversation. And the kids tell me that they're comfortable enough to, to tell me, like, you know, my mom was kind of tripped out that, that you're white, you know. And, you know, it, it, it may be an oversimplification of it. But the way that I always explain it to the kids is, you know, your history teachers are up there. They're not ancient Romans. Mm-hmm. They're not Egyptian mummies. You know, you don't have to be something to love and appreciate and and to and to want to examine and to be curious a thing. Mm-hmm. And I want to stand as a model to them that you can have curiosity about other people mm-hmm. and and you can want to learn about other people that it, it doesn't just have to be a self-reflective thing. But the funny part is it always ends up being self-reflective. Yeah, yeah. That that's the thing is that by looking at someone else, you really end up looking at yourself. Mm. You mm. know, and the African-American experience in America is the American experience. Right, right. You know, it, it pulls everything together. You know, it's, it's impossible. It doesn't leave anybody out. What, and what it reflects back is not always glamorous. Right. Right. And I think that's what makes it so pointed is that you're right. You can't discuss America without talking about different racial and ethnic groups in general, but you certainly can't do that without stop talking about black folks and African-American folks, because there simply is no Republic, no country, there's no wars, there's no, you know, none of the amenities. But the cool thing about it is that it's our experience is so raw that it forces you to examine things that would otherwise kind of go unexamined. And, you know, I, it's the same thing, like for, for the teachers out there, the pedagogues, there's the, we talk oftentimes about the teacher diversity gap and how that's mm-hmm. important. What the great news is you don't have to be from a certain racial ethnic group to teach students, but you do have to be inquisitive. That's right. You know, you do have to be uh, learned. That's right. Right. And be willing to be taught. You have to be fluid. You, ha- yeah. you can't stand rooted in one place no. with a set mind that you've got it figured out. You know everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. I never know what I need to know. Yeah. I'm always and, and trying who, to figure that you? out. Who's teaching you most of the time what you need to know? That's right. It's it, the kids. That's right. And you know I learn from them. All day. All day. I, and that's the thing is, I, I had this great experience with my kids the other day in class where I, 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 I literally just said, we, we have Friday family breakfast, which you're going to be coming to experience in a couple of weeks. And uh-huh. we just, you know, when you break bread with somebody, it, it changes the social dynamic. Sure. And we were in the room and I literally asked one question to the room. I, I just said, what role does representation play in your education? And then I sat down and shut up. Mm. And 
more teachers need to do that. Just let the kids go. And they had the most amazing conversation about representation in who's teaching them, in who they're sitting in class with, to what it is that they're studying in that class. And tears were shed by the end of this conversation. Kids are hugging each other. You know, we're, we're digging down deep on some stuff that, ha- that speaks to their direct experience every day in a school in America, as opposed to somebody else's version of it in a textbook. They were studying themselves. They were their own text mm-hmm. and they could look to their peers and learn from their peers. And again, it becomes a self-reflective activity. And there was a, there's a researcher in the room with us from, from UNC Chapel Hill that they're, people are looking at what we're doing in this class because it's kind of out there and they mm-hmm. want to see what we're up to. And when she and I were talking after the class, we came back to this point that what's sad is there's no way to assess the learning that happened in that hour in that classroom. Right. Quantitatively. There's right. no way. I can't, I can't get, there's no exit ticket. There's no formative or summative assessment I can give to measure what they learned. But undoubtedly, they learned in that hour. And they learned something that they're going to they're gonna carry with them the rest of their life. And because there's people out there that insist upon there being some way to quantitatively measure everything that happens in a classroom, it makes it hard for classes like this to, to work and to, and to flourish throughout the state. I'm very, very lucky that I have an administration in my building and that I have leaders at the county level that believe in the mission of the class. And they believe that, you know, you can't quantitatively measure everything that happens in a room. And just because you can't doesn't mean it's not of value. And the fact that they've given me this blank check is amazing. I mean, I, I don't take the responsibility lightly that they've said they saw what my kids did through that EJI project. And they said, all right, just do more of that. And they've just let me off the leash. And it's amazing. You know, so Bado Freddy talks a lot about this idea of problem posing mm-hmm. education, right? That students aren't empty receptacles to right. be deposited into. Critical right. pedagogy. Critical pedagogy do it. all day long, That's right? right. Uh, we are, as instructors, ever the teachers, never the learners. And they come to us as the authority figures to be filled up, uh, never being a reciprocal relationship. When the truth of the matter is you take uh, issues of social injustice um, and we ought to be co-interrogating mm-hmm. with them. Right? I call my co-conspirators. See, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Because listen, I, and, and conspiracy isn't always bad, right? <laughs> right. The Constitutional Convention was a conspiracy. That's right. right? They didn't have the authority to be assembling. You right. know what I mean? Right. So we're, we're going to conspire together. We're going to interrogate together this world. But we're going to use this moment of education and we're going to pose problems. Right. And sometimes I'll be the teacher. Sometimes you'll be the teacher. Right. Because everybody here is a teacher. That's right. Um, and we're going to figure out, as your students did, how do we respond to this? How do we use education as a tool of freedom? And and with this EGI project, it didn't go exactly as you drew it up. And it so, turned out better. It turned out better. Yeah. And such is life. Right. 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 That's but that's to me the function of education. That's right. And, you know, so I will I will give you a little props here and say that the most impactful educator I've had in my life was an English teacher. All right. 
There we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, Mr. Stokes, uh, honors English teacher, my 11th grade year. But what's funny is years after, and I reflect on all the things that I learned from his class, you almost forget that he taught English. Right. Because it was so transcendent. Right. It felt like it just bled into everything. The the room and the space for conversations that were had, the interdisciplinary right. approach right to the discourse in the class. Yeah, we'll read a text. But that's yeah. just a jumping off point for something else. Absolutely. Something right. and not just anything else, but something of relevance. That's right. Right. Something of social import. That's right. Right. And my God, I mean, there are scores and generations of students who sat in his class who feel the exact same way. Yeah. Right. And so. You teach African-American lit, but first of all, like what else do you teach? Right. I mean, right. so what talk, talk to us about your course. So what else I, you teach? I also teach um, I, for years. I always taught ninth grade English and I love ninth grade. Ninth graders are, are, I love them. I ain't going to lie. They're, like that. That's yeah, they, so they are my people. Yeah. Right. And they're, they're my knuckleheads. And I say that with love. For like sure, they're, sure. They're, I love those kids. Um, and then I, last year I started teaching seniors. I'd never taught seniors before. Mm-hmm. Um, seniors are great too. They're, 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 it's a different, it's a different, different thing vibe. altogether. Yeah, for sure. And I'll tell you with them, you're talking about relevance. Mm-hmm. Um, I taught them from the first time last semester and we're getting down to that last week of class. And I, God knows in, in, in May, late May, I'm not going to give those kids any more assignments they need to turn in <laughs> that might stop them from graduating. Right. Not no seniors. Don't no, do that. not seniors in May. I was like, right. we're done with assignments and you know, we're doing a little prep for the final exam that's coming up, you know, the NCFE and all that. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I said, guys, I'm literally the last teacher. Some of y'all, if you're not going on to college, I'm it. I might be your last teacher. So I I went up to the the board. It was a blank whiteboard. I said, what do you want to know? And they looked at me and they're like, they're like, what do you mean? Like nouns and stuff. And I was like, no, what do you want to know? Like about life. And we filled that board up. I mean, they were saying everything from how do you do a lease agreement to how do you check the oil in your car to how do you install a ceiling fan (laughs) on down the line. And I said, all right, let's do this thing. And literally that last week, I pulled my car around back. I was like, all right, we're going to learn how to change a tire. We're going to learn how to jumpstart your car. We're going to learn how to check your oil. I, I One of my kids in the class, he worked construction outside of class. He knew wiring real good. He, he, put together this little mock-up of like, if you had to change out a light switch or you had to change out a ceiling fan. And we have fun telling kids like when they electrocuted themselves in the process, right. if they hadn't done it right, you know. Right. And I never had a room full of more engaged students in my life because uh, it was real life. Message. Right. And it yeah. was like, here's how you felt your, your 1040 EZ. Yeah. Those kids were, I mean. Yeah, can kids you show that, me how to do the no, right. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the kids who'd never taken a note before <laughs> right. were crushing it that day, you know. So, you know, that's a that's a constant reminder with me that it can't just be about this disembodied poem mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with nothing. It, it's always got to have to something to do with something. Disembodied poem. Right. It can't Love just it. be out there in the world. You know, so when we read something like Harrison Bergeron by Kurt Vonnegut, uh-huh. I then got to bring that back around to. All right. Now, let me show you this about the North Carolina eugenics program. Talk. See, talk. Yeah. And. Teaching hard history. Yeah, we're, right? we're, we're one, doing that one of your too. courses, right? Oh, yeah. So I, I don't want to cut your flow no, off, but so go there with me. Like, talk to me more about that. With the eugenics? Yeah, like, so you're, you're setting them up for the eugenics and tell me where you take them next. Well, and, and with that in my, that was in my ninth grade class. And when you put that in front of the kids and they make the connection between how what happens in the story is kind of like what happened in real life. Right. But of course, all their focus goes to real life. Right. 
And they go, for real? Like, that's what I just kept doing. For real? I'm like, yeah, this happened in this state up to a time, including when I was alive. Right. You know, and I know I seem like a dinosaur to them, but I'm not that old. You know, and they can look at me and I, and, and, and I tell them, like, this could have impacted your parents. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if your parents got sideways with the wrong teacher or social worker at their school, you might not exist. Right. You know, and, and that hits. So that's another reason why I, st- I knew that this new class, the hard history class was going to work and why eugenics had to be something we talked about was the kids just they're blown away by the fact that that even happened. So we're going to be doing some deep diving on that. We're going to be looking at primary and secondary source documents and the kids are going to do something. And that's the beauty of it. I don't know what they're going to do. Right. You know, we I, I, we talk about truth and reconciliation. We take it all the way back to Mandela and Tutu. And then we bring in Brian Stevenson's version of it in America. And we talk about, OK, there's got to be a truth telling that little old bitty sign down on, uh, I think, Wilmington Street. Don't cut it. Right. That says, you know, eugenics board met one block south I've from here. It, yeah. yep. You know, that's our truth telling. Right. Like, no. You know, so. There's got to be a proper truth telling that's got to occur. And then there, what's the reconciliation part? Now, I know we, we're the only state to do any kind of, you know, payment plan that's been put out there. Yeah. The plan. With the right. plan, right? Yeah. And then the payments haven't been rolling out. Right. Um, but, you know, at least we've done that. And that's something. But still, the kids look at that and they're like, writing a check ain't reconciliation. Mm. You know, that's. You know, the state officially issued a, an apology a few years back. It's not reconciliation. You right. know, that's not what justice looks like. So I'm going to be very interested to see what they come up with because I don't know and I'm not going to dictate it. Right. You know, I'm just going to put it in front of them and say, OK, so now you know what you need to know about eugenics in North Carolina. What do we do about it? Because that's what I've learned in in class, like when we would talk about the era of enslavement or we talk about the Jim Crow era, we talk about lynching, you talk about all this, you know, it's really negative stuff. Yeah, sure. And there, there's a certain amount of trauma potentially that I might be inflicting upon my kids just by talking about it. It's important to be cognizant. Right. So I got to be aware of it. Yeah. But ultimately it becomes an empowering thing because to me, if all I do is tell my kids, Hey, you know, eugenics happened. 7,600 North Carolinians, this happened to them. Mm-hmm. Have a good day. Go to math class. <laughs> right? Like that's yeah. all I've done is stir up all these negative emotions. They're going to get mad. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to get sad. And now they just got to carry that with them. So I always talk to them about like, you got to take all that emotion that gets stirred up and turn it into action. You got to yeah. do something with it. Yeah. And that's where the truth and reconciliation part comes in, where it empowers the kids to take everything they feel about what they're learning and then do something with it, huh. you know, and then, and then my role becomes a facilitator. My role becomes, I'm going to help you to achieve whatever vision you come up with. And I'm going to help point you in a direction and I'm going to be a bridge builder and I'll point, I'll introduce you to people. I'll help you write that email that you need to write, mm-hmm. but it's on you. You got to take your feelings about this and do something with it. So, and you're getting ready to, <laughs> you, you're going to do, um, we got about, five to seven minutes. Um, but you're going to take a trip to Wilmington. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Tell me briefly, uh, what, what that's about. So we're just finishing up our study right now of the racial massacre and the coup of 1898 in Wilmington. And, um, 
that's another one of those things that you put it in front of the kids and they just, they're like, wait, what now? This happened here? Like it, it, this happened, period. Then this happened in America. Then this happened in North Carolina. Yeah. You know, this happened in that place I go and have fun down by the beach. <laughs> you know, then it all becomes very, very real for them. Um, so we're deep diving, again, those primary and secondary sources. We're going to go down to Wilmington. I, I learned it from taking them to Montgomery that they got to get out of the classroom. They got to be in a place. They got to see it. They got to breathe the air. They got to walk where Manley's Press was. They got to really see where all this happened. And then again, it's going to be in front of them. What are you going to do about it? You know, the, the jumping off point project is we're looking at what the commission did in 1998, which was fantastic. I right. think they did great work. And looking at the memorial as it stands in Wilmington now, which the fact that a memorial exists is great, is terrific. Um, and and the, the, the content of it, mm -hmm. the, the actual text of it is fantastic. Yep. Um, but then again, these six bronze paddles, there's not this immediate visceral connection to what happened in Wilmington. And, and let's be honest, most people are driving past that. They're not stopping and reading all that text. Yep. They're going six paddles next to a river. I guess it's something about boats. Yep. You know, so my kids are working on projects now where they're selecting people from history and events from history that require either require a memorial or maybe an update to a memorial. And, and I want them thinking like visually, what, what do the memorials need to do? Yeah. They're a part of our truth telling. Um, and they can be a part of our reconciliation. But um, so that's what the kids are working on now. That's that's a bridge project that's happening. But then after we go down and visit, we're hoping to collaborate with uh, Williston Middle School down there. Mm -hmm. um, and where the kids go, I don't know. That's the beauty of it. It's terrifying on the one hand, <laughs> but it's really exciting. Right. That it's like, OK, well, what are you guys going to do now? Yeah, let's see. Let's see where y'all where y'all take this. But the important thing is that it's it's centered on the students. Right. right. It's, it's driven by the students and right. it's entrusted and supported by the adults. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that becomes about, you know, allowing them and activating their power. They already have, we can't give them, can't That's empower right. them, but allowing them the agency uh, to, to facilitate and use that power. Um, hey, you know, I, I like to end all my interviews with uh, a hopeful note to always inject a sense of inspiration into the listeners. And I mean, if they haven't gotten it already from just listening to us talk, which I'm sure they have. Uh, I like to end on the idea of radical imagination, yep. right? So we're not so uh, driven by, you know, what we want to destroy in this world, uh, but we're also inspired by what it is we want to build, yep. right? And so when you close your eyes and you imagine a future as an educator, uh, interdisciplinary, um, uh, literary yep. uh, teacher, uh, what is your radical imagination for your kids, for North Carolina, for the country? So I, as an educator, I hope to leave behind a legion of young people who know their history, but they, more importantly, they know what to do about their history and that they don't see themselves as a victim of circumstance, that the world happens to them, that they are an agent of change in their community and their definition of community can be big and small. You can be an agent of change in your family. You can be an agent of change in your neighborhood. You can be an agent of change in your town, city, you know, your county, your state, that 
it, it doesn't have to be that story we tell every kid is that you could grow up to be the president, that, that we give them this narrative that it's the president or anything. When there's all kinds of things in between, that, that, there's, that there's, there's places to exhibit, exert your power and a lot of spaces in between. So that's, that's what I hope for, is that I, I, I want to leave behind students that feel like they can do something. I don't want them to sit back and be passive, and I don't want them to sit back and feel like the world happens to them. They are an active participant in their world, and they can change the course of what happens. Um, and they have it within them. They just, and, and I see it with kids every day. They just have to be given the opportunity. They have to be given the pathway and just get out of the way. That's what I, I say with my kids all the time, that if I have a, a pedagogical theory, it's light the fuse and run. <laughs> and I, I stand in front of my kids, I light the fuse, and I get out of the way, and I watch the fireworks happen. That's beautiful, man. And we can't end on a much better note than that. So, Matt, thank you so much for taking thank the time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for what you do, man. Thank you. All right, till next time. Take care.